politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Blaze TV on this fine Wednesday, November 18th, chilly Wednesday, a dark Wednesday, at least where I live, dark days ahead of us, but it doesn't have to be this way. These are the times that try men's souls. I've honestly haven't felt this overwhelmed in a while. My wife always says I don't multitask well, but just between everything going on, there's the election stuff. There's the Danish mask study came out today. There's all the stuff on the hospitalization data. There are so many lies to debunk, and we're going to go through some of them. But it's also important that we know our rights. At the end of the day, this is not going to be won, at least solely, or even mostly with an information warfare. Because it doesn't matter. We have the information on our side. We have the science on our side. We have the data on our side. It just doesn't matter. Speak to the wall. Kim Jong-un doesn't rule based on data. He rules by the divine right of kings. And that's what we have today with these governors. That's what we have. Then we're going to have our special guest on today, Todd Benzman, a little bit later, to discuss that at the same time, these governors, including red states and mayors, are now issuing curfews, because it's a nocturnal virus, of course, curfews, literally the definition of infringing upon individual liberty, the movement, to the, the freedom to move free, uh, you know, freedom, freely without restriction. We have these sickening mask mandates, including on children, the more we see they just don't work. All under the guise of not blowing up the hospitals. When in fact, we looked at hospitalization data, it really is not more than a typical flu season based on what we've seen. There's now more information, by the way, that they're including observation beds, something that they weren't including before, so that inflates it. Also, that in order to get remdesivir, which is now the protocol to use, whether it should be used or not, you have to be inpatient. So that's another reason certain people are just being placed inpatient to get remdesivir when they don't need to be. Lots of different things going on with that. But at the same time, we are bringing through the front door Mexican nationals to our hospitals in Texas. Front door to go and utilize our hospitals. So we get locked down under the false premise that somehow that will stop the rush in the hospitals while Mexicans are brought in. So, and, and Fauci's talking about this business of federalizing our response. I don't like what states are doing. We need to, you know, uniform shutdown of children and schools and businesses and churches and your own damn breathing from your own nose and your mouth. But the one thing that legitimately is federal in nature and can be shut down and should be shut down, which is not bringing in people from other countries, not just that they might be a risk, but they explicitly are coming for COVID hospitalizations. They have the virus and we bring them in. Like imagine someone saying, hey, I want to open up my church or school and we all have COVID. Oh, of course you can't do that, right? Not a risk you might get. You have it now. Well, How about we're going to have immigration or cross-border travel when someone has COVID? 
That's what's going on. So we'll get to that a little bit later with our guest. Now, folks, look, it's very hard to have a sense of humor living in these dark times. But Patriot Penguin is the perfect way you could support this show, send the most thoughtful but also entertaining Christmas, Thanksgiving, other holiday cards, and actually support Patriots. Are you sick and tired of overpriced greeting cards that don't say what you want? For many years, Americans have basically been stuck in the greeting card section, you know, at Rite Aid or these other stores, and they're just lame. The messages on those greeting cards, they look kind of like they're written by Biden's speechwriter. Well, those days are over thanks to Patriot Penguin, the first and only greeting card company for conservatives with a bigly sense of humor. From birthdays to Christmases to anniversaries, any occasion, Patriot Penguin has a wide selection of cards that will trigger your snowflake friends and relatives, plus remind the like-minded that you don't drink the mainstream Kool-Aid. All their cards are designed and printed right here in the good old USA, ship free and quick. You got to love that, folks. Go to PatriotPenguin.com right now and save on a four card for $22 deal. This is a $22 deal for four cards with the offer code CR. That simple. Remember, you must place your order before December 15th if you want it to arrive before Christmas. Let's keep Christmas great with Patriot Penguin. Go to PatriotPenguin.com. That's PatriotPenguin.com, offer code CR. Now, speaking of canceling Thanksgiving and Christmas, so. We have in the state of Ohio, yesterday, Mike DeWino, a state that Republicans control the Senate 25 to 8. That's roughly the same margin that Democrats control the California Senate. They control the House 64 to 34, or at least will be that margin in January. It's maybe a 61 now. Two to one majority in the House. Three to one majority in the Senate. And yet, it is may as well be North Korea, much less California. DeWine announces a curfew. Curfew. And I, w- I was speaking on the phone yesterday with a friend of mine who's in the state legislature there, and I said, I don't want to hear this business. Oh, the rhinos, DeWine people control the leadership in both houses. You get up there, you hold a press conference with the like-minded members, and you publish a joint resolution, a statement of rights and principles for an American sanctuary, that this is not America. Article 1, Section 1 of the Ohio Constitution, all men are by nature free and independent and have certain inalienable rights, among which are those of enjoying and defending life and liberty and acquiring, possessing, and protecting property and seeking and obtaining happiness and safety. Section 2, all political power is inherent in the people Government is instituted for their equal protection and benefit, and they have the right to alter, reform, or abolish the same whenever they may deem it necessary, and no special privileges or immunities shall ever be granted that may not be altered, revoked, or repealed by the General Assembly. Section 18. No power of suspending law shall ever be exercised except by the General Assembly. The notion that a governor could just do whatever the hell he wants. I mean, forget about the voodoo nature of it. Um, put a cloth Chinese mask in front of a airborne virus. Um, uh, nighttime, leapy, sleepy time. Uh, virus go away. I mean, forget about the just utterly retarded nature of 
the facts behind these things, but the legality. How much longer are we, are we going to take this in Pennsylvania? The governor there said you have to wear a mask in your house. I want to know what is it go, what's it going to take to rebel? Do they have to start installing cameras? Or, or, or will we let that go through too? This has got to end. This has got to end. Now, I have a lot more going on I want to get to, but I don't have time. We have the Danish mass study that came out. I'm going to have an article on that. They show zero statistical efficacy. They did 3,000 people wearing them. 3,000 people didn't wear them. And they showed no statistical efficacy. They published it in the Annals of Internal Medicine, what's considered a very prestigious journal. And you could tell the way they worded it, they had to water it down in order to get it published there. They were like, well, it doesn't prove definitively that they don't work. (laughs) It's like, well, yeah. So we've gone from masks being better than a vaccine to, well, we can't totally prove that they will never work in any form in any place. And again, this study was surgical masks and it showed it didn't work. Most people who are wearing them for long periods of time with indoor exposure, namely in schools and businesses, they're going to wear the comfortable cotton masks, which are the, the pores. In other words, let's say in surgical masks, the pores are about 30 times larger than the viral particles. In cloth masks, they could be thousands of times larger. And numerous studies have shown that they cross-contaminate. But this is what we're doing. The psychological damage. I have an infant that is never going to understand facial recognition, never see human beings with normal dignity, the developmental problems, not to mention a lot of the things we've discussed on the show, the particles of the shedding getting into your lungs, the breathing, the immune system. God did not create lungs and a mouth and a nose to be covered like that. When are we going to fight back again? And I thank all of you guys for sending me some ideas. Keep sending them to me. Ideas for crafting a declaration of rights, which I'm going to send around, push together with Mark Meckler and the Convention of States Network in at least the state legislatures like Ohio, where we have full control. We need to breathe down their necks in addition to the whole election fraud by getting them to investigate the election fraud, but also to get on the playing field and pass a joint resolution that what these governors are saying is null and void and that they're illegal. And frankly, that these governors need to be arrested. I'm sick of it. Now, also, I have a very detailed analysis of what's going on in Georgia. Thanks to one listener to the show, and you know who you are. Great work showing the impossibilities of the Biden margins and turnout in the Atlanta metro counties. They literally fly in the face of everything. Even if you account for a higher turnout election and a little bit of population growth, you're talking about 47, 50% increases over Obama's raw share, raw, raw vote share in these counties. You know, when the counties grew by two or 4%, it just makes no sense. And now we see Two batches of lost ballots that were found. But notice how the lost ballots that are found late in the evening, morning, before the they close the first count, all go to Biden. But then when we force an investigation on things that we wouldn't otherwise discover, but we do, 
then the lost ballots are all for Trump. Just in two of the 159 counties, just one found batch in each closed 8.6% of the gap. And now there's news out that there's even more. There's another place with a few thousand votes. And in DeKalb County, there's a 96-26 vote error, almost 10,000 votes. And that batch was labeled um, almost all for Biden, like 99% for Biden. And we're told just to stand down and accept this. Somehow this is okay. Where there's that much smoke, folks, there's a lot more fire. So we're going to be on top of it as well. But as I noted, I want to get to our special guest, Todd Benzman, indefatigable shoe leather reporter on the border, reports the border from all different angles, typically national security. He's national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, but he also really recently has been covering COVID from a border perspective. Now, we were promised that there would be a shutoff of the border, which every country has done. And that doesn't mean like we're ending illegal immigration, which we haven't even fully done that. It means there's no travel. Meaning even if you're a dual citizen, even if you're an LPR, even legal immigration, you don't come across maybe except for rare circumstances. And you certainly don't come across if you have COVID for the purpose of going to a hospital. Like that kind of defeats the purpose. Well, Daniel, but but they're, they have a green card. They're dual citizens. Well, I am a citizen too, and I'm told I must wear a diaper on my face. I must put it on my five-year-old. I can't go to services. I can't open a business. I can't walk freely. Unalienable rights. So you better believe, I mean, cross-border my travel is not an unalienable right. You better believe that's going to be clamped down on if this is what we're going to do nationwide. If COVID is going to be used as a pretext to blame the American people because we want to preserve the hospitals, even though none of these voodoo measures have been proven to do that, well, certainly directly bringing people from Mexico to the hospitals is going to be a problem. I did a seven-part series on this a while back in the spring during that first wave from Mexico. And now, as everyone's getting another wave, Mexico is as well. And we're having it particularly in El Paso and maybe New uh, Laredo area of Texas. We had it before in Arizona and California. I stopped paying attention, but someone has held me accountable for not paying attention. And they need to cover this more. And that is Todd Benzman. Well, Todd, you listen to me. Yelp. Now I want you to match my level of intensity. Thanks so much for joining us today. Sure. Good to be here. Not sure I can uh, meet that <laughs> bar, that high bar. <laughs> so th- this is maddening, but I want people to be pissed off. I want them to feel the pain if they can't see the light. And I want you to tell the American people what is going on at our border right now with regards to cross-border travel from Mexico. Basically, let me give you the epidemiological side of what you're looking at from the border. Generally speaking, hospitals are not overrun. Generally speaking, throughout the country, they might be a little bit full, but this time of year they start to get that way anyway. Um, they're not overrun. We have we put $200 billion into the hospitals. They're certainly not more overrun than they were in um, 2018 with that flu season that was a pandemic. 
Now, a lot of it is psychological because the more you treat this like the bubonic plague and not like more of a pandemic flu, the more the fact that you have cases makes all the healthcare workers go nuts and they quarantine and then they run out of workers. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but generally speaking, it's exaggerated. But a lot of people have seen in the news that if you look at the El Paso hospitals, they do appear to be more dire than elsewhere in the country. Now, that doesn't seem to make much sense to people. Could you fill in the gap as to why that's happening? Sure. What's happening on the on the Texas-Mexico border right now, and also to a certain extent, Arizona uh, and California as well, is the same thing that was happening in the spring and summer. It's just the it's just the next wave. You have Mexican nationals who hold various kinds of visas, uh, border crossing cards. Uh, legal permanent residents, uh, different kinds of um, permissions to be able to come across the, the supposedly closed border that was closed for containment of COVID in March, uh, because their own hospitals on the Mexican side are collapsed from COVID. 100% capacity in Juarez, all seven hospitals in that re- that serve that that region are collapsed. They're 100% full. People are dying in the hallways and in the parking lots of those hospitals. So if you are a Mexican with any possible uh, way to legally get through loopholes in our border closure, you are coming across and entering, uh, getting admitted to El Paso hospitals. That is happening. There's solid news reporting, local news reporting, in El Paso, a video showing El Paso fire department ambulances lined up, picking up sick Mexicans at the International Bridge and bringing them to El Paso hospitals day and night. That is uh, absolutely happening. It's not widely recognized beyond El Paso or maybe some of my reporting and some of your reporting too. Uh, but it, it is a, uh, a definite factor in El Paso's 100% filled hospitals. Uh, El Paso, in turn, is doing the same thing that was being done in the summer months uh, to keep their beds free. Our air, air, uh, they're flying by air and uh, by ground, moving by ground. Patients from their beds to interior hospitals, filling the interior hospitals in Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and Amarillo, Las Cruces, New Mexico, to keep the beds clear. And those cases are being counted as local spread in those places. So they're closing bars and restaurants as though these people are not from Mexico, uh, subject to policies in Mexico that, that are that are not influenceable by anything that Greg Abbott does, Governor Greg Abbott or Ducey or anybody, Newsom. And um, you're also contending with some number of illegal immigrants uh, who cross, not legally, but they'll, they'll cross uh, between the ports of entry and will make their way to the hospitals as well, where, where all of the care is uh, provided uh, the, uh, on the dime of the U.S. taxpayer. 
it should be noted. So that's what's happening at the in El Paso. Uh, you know, we we don't we can't really say for sure that it's a percentage. We don't really know what the percentage is, but yep. you have county commissioners, you have fire department officials, you have health senior health officials, hospital administrators in different ways, all admitting that there is a significant traffic from Mexico from their fleeing their collapsed hospital system into El Paso. And I think people need to know that because, you know, if you don't recognize the different streams contributing to the crisis in Texas, then you can't apply the right policy prescriptions. You have a misdiagnosis. So, Todd, I I think you recognize the implication of what you're saying but I want to spell it out and punctuate it for our audience that, you know, a government was created to do certain things and to not do certain things and to specifically stay away from doing certain things. They are supposed to protect the broad external security from external harms and communicable diseases. Is one of them, it's usually more hostilities, but certainly communicable diseases has been recognized as a uh, job of government to keep that out. But then there's things that they're not supposed to do, which is violate individual liberty of citizens. So what they are doing is they are saying we have the right to violate. Basically, governors are saying, and I I challenged one governor. I said, could you name one thing you cannot do? Is, Is there anything you cannot do? I'd like to know if you say COVID, a noun, a verb, and issue a command. Does that mean that there is nothing you could do to my body, my person? My, my property. And the answer seems to be no. They could do anything they want. So they're using – one of the benchmarks they're using is too many cases or too many hospitalizations. X number of hospitalizations means you have no liberty. Your liberty might be able to return when it reaches this level. Now, never mind the fact that we've never linked it to does it actually work or is it just kind of cyclical and, it, and the virus does what it does and there's nothing we can really do to stop it, just treat it. Fortify your immune system, vitamin D, whatever. That's a debate in and of itself. But nonetheless, we're saying that that's the benchmark that's being used for your liberty. You don't have liberty. We have the right to do what governments were not created to do until the hospital levels reach a certain level. Then they turn around and don't do something that they are charged with doing, which is securing the border. And it's either from illegal immigrants or in a time of a pandemic to keep out at least people that are known to have it from coming in. Um, I mean, that, that was always from the history of our country. If you have the thing, then, then that, you know, whatever. So we specifically bring in those people that 100% have it because they're coming for COVID treatment. And then we're saying, hey, that's beyond the level of hospitalization. So you, Joe Six-Pack American, your school's shut down, your business is shut down, you have a curfew, and you must wear a Chinese cloth diaper. Did I get the implication of what you're saying correctly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this goes to misdiagnosis. Uh, So, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that when Governor Abbott or Newsom or uh, Ducey uh, implement their statewide containment policies and um, you know whatever they're doing, 
that they are basing it on this presumption that we have to preserve hospital beds for, for our people. We can't overwhelm our systems. But they're not recognizing or even seeking to learn what percentage of, of, of the cases in these hospitals on the border states are coming from a, a, a different country where their policies have no traction at all. They're just uh, state and local policies. What is happening in Mexico is a federal policy that needs to be addressed federally. So states and state governors need to be collaborating with their federal counterparts to figure out uh, how to, I mean, let's just say for sake of argument that it's 70% of all the hospitals along the border are filled with people who came in from Mexico. Uh, and if that's the case, then um, a, a suturing of the border closure, the March 20 border, uh, the loopholes in that border closure, which basically it's like a sieve. I mean, it's not a border closure at all. Uh, no offense to um, President Trump who put that in place, but uh, it needs to be revised, needs to be revisited to see whether or not that is a significant major source of the hospitalizations. And if it is, then almost everything that we're seeing being done by the governors is unnecessary. You you clear your hospital beds overnight. Uh, so uh, what I what I also would would point out here, Daniel, is is that you know you can't just shut the border to and condemn people to death in Mexico. Okay, so I wanted to get to that. So I wanted to get to that. You 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 wrote and and I want I just want to plug at CIS if you want to see the full report. Go to Center for Immigration Studies, click on Todd Benzman. You could Google it, look at his top article or second to most recent article, Tighten the Border and Send Medical Relief to Mexico Border Cities. So you're saying rather than bring them into America, A, you risk the spread, B, you um, you are basically shunting your own foreign policy compl complications off on the local hospitals, which is not their job, and C, then those numbers get used against Americans – What's your idea for treating these individuals? Sure. Well, let's assume that, you know, a very significant percentage of the border hospitalizations are Mexicans who came in through the loopholes. Uh, and and there, we really ought to get there, the, the state and locals need to be collaborating on this and talking about this with the federal government. How many are coming in, uh, et cetera. But by the same token, you can't close those loopholes and condemn people to uh, almost certain uh, death or you know extreme suffering in Mexico. The Mexican hospital system is collapsed in Juarez. You can't get any sort of treatment there. So uh, what needs to happen is instead of sending uh, Department of Defense assets to El Paso, to the El Paso side of the border, which has been done, uh, we just sent 60 uh, medical personnel with trucks and tents and equipment and gear, and it's, it was an airlift to uh, relieve El Paso. Those assets should be sent to the Mexican side to help the Mexican hospitals cope with what's happening there and stop the flow of patients over the border. Those hospitals have to have their capacities expanded. That's 
that's absolutely clear from the media reporting on that side that they don't have doctors, nurses, space, equipment, et cetera, rush gear and people and equipment to Mexico to stop it there and then suture shut all of those uh, loopholes. But you can't do one without the other. There's a cart before the horse scenario here. So, uh, And we have all these field hospital things that we never wound up using field hospital resources we could send there. You could even use at the border itself, but just don't bring them into the interior in the hospitals. Now, I want to talk about the actual CBP guidance on admission. So on the surface, this seemed like a really big um, order, but ironically, it wasn't such a big order for COVID. It was more immigration policy, which I think we liked and, and we were happy it was we, we basically finally treated illegal immigrants as illegal. And we said, there's no more, you know, you get processed. No, you come here illegally, we're going to turn you back. And they started turning them back. Now, with the exception, if you're an illegal who actually says they have COVID, then we bring you in. And I like what you're saying. We should treat them there, have some sort of system. Okay. But it openly, and correct me if I'm wrong, when I wrote about this at the time, it openly exempted LPRs and dual citizens done. I mean, that's straight up, you can come back and forth as many times as you want. And then on top of that, even non-LPR. So you have other sorts of um, visas or border crossing cards. Border crossing cards, like so thousands and thousands. Thousands and thousands of them. Those. Then it's like this essential versus non-essential thing. So it's everyone who's an LPR dual citizen can come back and forth as much as you want. And then even those people that are, you know, they're not illegal. They are legal, but they're not, you know, a green card status. Well, they could, then it depends if you're, if you're, um, essential or not. So like what I don't understand again, we all understand that it's unprecedented to shut that type of thing off, but it's kind of unprecedented to suspend democracy in America too. And every other country that is doing that internally, certainly externally where either they're foreign nationals who don't have a right to be here, or even if they're dual citizens, you don't necessarily have a right to keep crossing back and forth. It's not a fundamental right. We could say, look, pick a side once and for all. And for the duration of the epidemic, this is what we're doing. Um, the same way we're literally issuing house arrest and curfews within the cities. So certainly you could do that at the international border. So did, did I basically get it right? So we're basically not keeping out any COVID. And then, of course, let's say you're non-essential, but you come and say, I can't breathe. And again, we're saying we're always going to treat people. We understand like, you know, when you're down and out, but then prospectively, we should have a process for changing the arc of what we're doing. So isn't it true Todd, that we're basically not keeping any COVID out from the border. Right. I mean, it's 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 akin to, you know, just a, like a a sieve. I'm, I mean, it's it's there. There's a bowl with about a thousand holes in it. Try filling that with water. It's just not going to happen. There's there's no enforcement of the essentiality uh, requirement. So somebody comes in and says, Hey, my job, I've got this great job and I, I absolutely have to be there. It's, you know, has it's COVID related. And it's not like there is a process where CBP can investigate the claim. They don't do it at all. Uh, there might be a piece of paper saying that, you know, I'm an employee of, of such and such a company. And, you know, sources tell me who work those ports of entry that they just wave them all through. Nobody 
nobody gets pulled aside and investigated and phone calls made. It's there's too many people in line for that. And so the border's open. They they it's officially closed, but the border is open exactly. at the ports of entry. But but I want to say, Todd, it, it's worse than that. In other words, what you're talking about is the baseline level of travel. Let's say like Canada from America to Canada. Let's say you're you're bordered by a first world country. So then it's just an issue of, hey, well, you might be asymptomatic or you might be pre-symptomatic. So we don't know. You might come in and spread it. So we're going to you know keep you out. That's that's that issue. But then there's the issue. Let's say we had a full ban you know, even essential and even LPR, even anything, no one could come across. But then the problem is this, even under that, that would only work with a first world country that themselves have a robust hospital system. But here, there's the second layer that even if they're not essential and or even if we banned everything, they're coming with COVID. It's not like, oh, you might be pre symptomatic No, they're coming with it and it's like, that's an exception. Well, because we feel we have to treat everyone. But this has been going on long enough that we should have gotten a handle on this. So my problem is, it's kind of like a backward system, right? Where we're saying, look, uh, we want to make sure we're not getting in COVID. Oh, except if you have COVID, you could come across. But but I mean, right. like, right. I'm saying, isn't that well, what's happening here? Yeah, there's a medical exception. If you have an appointment at a U.S. hospital and you're a Mexican, that is one of the exceptions. It's one of the loopholes. So you just come in and say, I've got a COVID appointment and you check yourself into a, a hospital. You, they wave you right through. Uh, ambulant, the way this is working a lot of times is that uh, somebody who's sick in Mexico and can't find a bed gets, a, gets an ambulance to drive them to the port of entry on the Mexican side, and just before they get there, they call 911 and have an El Paso Fire Department EMT unit pick them up on the other side. So one ambulance drops them off, they cross through, and they're taken to a, a hospital, and they admit this. And as a matter of fact, the um, Texas A&M has a, a policy institute called the Transportation, I believe it's called the Transportation Policy Institute. A uh, sort of study for transportation issues, and they uh, recently put forth a proposal to ease the uh, the the way for Mexican ambulances to cut the line so that they can get their COVID patients to the front quicker. Everybody knows that this is happening on a pretty significant scale. It's been it was, it's been reported in California and Arizona as well. So uh, COVID is is one of the loopholes. If you have COVID, you can come in <laughs> and, you know, we're making it easier for you to come in. And I'll just tell you one other thing that the that in, in a health emergency like this, the president has the power to bar American expatriates from entering through the border. We it's a tricky it's politically tricky to do that entering the, ever or giving them like one shot at it. No, from 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 crossing the border at all for any reason, we can close the borders to our own citizens. If but they, they could, could, could they to. still fly? Well, right now there the, they there is a uh, another loophole where you can fly from Mexico into a U.S. city as well. 
So there is that, but that could be closed off. Remember, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was this issue about whether President Trump was going to allow Americans in China to fly home. Yep. And he didn't have to, but he said he was going to do it anyway, as because there are people, right? So you don't want yep. to strand your people in a place that's in a pandemic. And, and you could have a mandatory a quarantine. You could do a one-stop shop and have a mandatory quarantine, but that's different from saying, hey, I'm a dual citizen living in Star County, Hidalgo County. Hey, let me just go uh, go over every day and go shopping and visit relatives back and forth. And just like, that's another thing. And when I get when I get sick, I'll just pop over to the hospital and enter. So I wanted to get so, to that, Todd. In the remaining time, I wanted to get to the to the quality. We're talking about quantity. I want to get to quality. What I have seen from our research um, and the group I'm with, Rational Ground folks, is that again, you look at the hospitalizations, and generally speaking, with rare exceptions like New York City in March. Even where you have a lot of hospitalizations, most of them are not critical condition. In the worst cases, they are. But generally speaking, they're borderline clinical. Some are even really subclinical. But, you know, people are scared and and they do have symptoms. It's not like they don't have symptoms when they come. They have a fever and they're scared and, you know, everyone's making a big deal of this. So they want to, you know, be careful. I think the president kind of fit into that. You know, certainly he was the president of the United States, so he wanted to be very cautious. He, I don't know if he necessarily needed to be hospitalized, but a lot of people are kind of at that level. Um, and that's what we're seeing generally, even in, play, you know, smaller places that like rural areas that are finally getting hit, smaller states that are finally getting hit. The deaths per cases are really very low. Um, and therefore, the critical level of hospitalizations are not that high. But is, isn't it true that by definition, you're not going to be getting when, – when someone's going to be coming from Mexico, that's going to be very much tilted towards the more critically ill. Is that correct? Absolutely. Like I said, people are coming in already on ambulances. Uh, there are stories about uh, people that got into El Paso and didn't even make it to uh, a doctor. Uh, there are cases where – uh, you know, people, by the time they get to an El Paso hospital, uh, they, uh, you know, the, 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 that particular demographic uh, neatly fills the most critical, critically ill demographic of the pandemic. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't bother coming over here. Of course, uh, of course. Before. And, and, and but, duration, but and duration, also, too. There's also, there's also reporting, Daniel, about people in Mexico who just have ordinary ailments, not COVID, mm. who can't find space in their own hospitals who are coming over for oh. for a US treatment and they don't even have co they don't even have COVID. They're coming in for whatever heart condition, but they can't get access wow. to Mexican uh, So that's care. the second order effect. You're saying meaning the There's fact a second that, order effect. Yeah, the fact that the hospitals there can't handle it and they're coming over so then now you can't get care for other things and they'll come over too, which has been going on at the border for many years and particularly during the big Central American wave crisis a year and two years ago where you reported on this. And we certainly had it in the flu season of 2019, I remember, where a lot of people came with the flu, but also we had elective procedures. You did some good reporting on that. But now there's going to be an even greater impetus because it's not just like the care is better in America it's that you literally can't get care there. And and again, qualitatively, 
it takes a greater degree of desperation to make such a move. It's going to take longer to come here. So by definition, you're going to be in worse shape. So, and I'm just making up numbers here, but based on what you're telling me, you would probably have a dynamic. Whereas let's say Mexicans are taking up, you know, 30% of the general hospital beds in the border cities. They'll likely take up 50, 60% of the ICUs. Yeah, the problem is nobody really uh, <laughs> outside of the hospital systems knows that key data, and that is the data that should be driving policy. Well, data ne- has never driven policy with when it comes to this uh, thing. It's all about well, tyranny. It- and, uh, you know, I mean, look, Todd, it's all about the science. So the science says that for COVID, you have to release everyone from the jails and prisons. It says that you cannot um, protest or get together and have church services, but you could have a BLM riot. Um, it's a very peculiar virus, and you know Americans spread it more than other nationals do. So we have to be shut down even in our cities and homes, but they could cross an international boundary. It, it, it's a very interesting virus that somehow all of the policy prescriptions seem to land in one uh, – ideological uh, direction, (laughs) you know, whatever the issue is. But I think, but again, I mean, what what you're reporting on is a, it's a very big story in and of itself. And B, it speaks really to the fundamentals of philosophy. I mean, I'm teaching my son in homeschooling this week about the declaration of independence and what it means and the seven or so principles underpinning the social compact and what is and isn't the job and prerogative and, power of a government and it's it's truly shocking at how the quintessential job of what we should be doing and particularly as you know at a federal level i mean you know fauci saying he's frustrated with what the states are doing well buddy i mean this this is your lane this is all federal um i want a uniform policy well let's have a uniform border policy which you you know constitutionally have authority over um but well, listen, then yeah i i, I I'm not hearing uh, any federal uh, officials or people in authority, Mark Morgan, CBP, uh, or Fauci, or anybody, the president, anybody in the White House, talking about this border problem of the COVID patients coming over the border and filling our hospitals. And uh, that has to end right away because you're never going to fix this problem. It's going to keep, we, we had it. This is a recurring movie we we saw all of this from may through about august in border states all the border states this exact kind of thing happened so why are we having it again because nobody would talk about it the first time around either so exactly exactly second round and nobody will talk about it it just and and it's so obvious and and i want to know it's so real the biggest thing we've seen is that in rural areas and smaller areas, so generally speaking, the death rates are going to be lower than the urban areas. Now, this the case rates were even lower. Now they're catching up in the Dakotas and Wyoming simply because everyone's going to get it. It's, it's going to go where it goes, when it goes. And the less immunity you have, meaning the less you had the first round, 
the more of it you're going to get the next round, which is why New York isn't getting that much now because most of the people got it or most of the people will get it, got it. There's still a little bit more room to grow. Whereas in Wyoming and North Dakota, nobody got it. Very few got it. So now they're getting it. But generally speaking, you don't see high death rates most of the time. The exception we saw was in the border counties where they stuck out like a sore thumb, yeah. where they would have higher death rates than Houston, which epidemiologically didn't make sense, but it does make sense if it's a drain that by definition, you're getting your natural cases, but then you're also getting the worst cases of Mexico. You're not going to get the non-hospitalized cases because they're not going to come over. You're only getting the most critical cases, right? Right. Well, and you know, this is not to say... I mean, I've never I've never uh, asserted that Mexico is the source of covid, the only source of covid. It's going to go everywhere. Yeah, there's spread that's happening. But but if you're just talking about hospitals and hospital systems on the U.S. side geographically that are suffering and straining to the point where you have to send the military in to help uh, like they are in El Paso. Uh, that is got to be significantly due to uh, yes. Mexicans yes. coming over the border. And, and we're not we're not for all the talk about North Dakota and Wisconsin and Montana. We're not finding the military going there because, again, they're getting it because they didn't get it before. This is their first main round and it, it, it's going around. I mean, but Texas already got it significantly. So it's peculiar. See, this is what what bothered me. Texas got it in the Sun Belt wave, right? They got it in the summer along with Arizona and Florida, a couple other states. Florida, like everyone else, they're having the seasonal fall increase, but Florida is not getting slammed like El Paso is because Florida, they already had it. So to me, it didn't make sense that Texas would get double duty, like, like two really big waves. We're not seeing that anywhere. And and again, that would explain it. It's it's coming from Mexico, um, at least to the extent that it makes it just totally unusually strained in these hospitals. So that's with that. Um, I want to get to one other thing, Todd, just the general legal immigration issue, the general state of the border. Um, DHS put out a report uh, two months ago, maybe. And they basically, without saying that a Biden win is going to create a border surge, they said something to the effect of uh, conflicting messaging from our government is a contributing factor towards um, caravans and Central Americans thinking that they have an avenue in. Um, what are you now that Biden, whether he rightfully won or not, but appears to be headed to the presidency, what are you hearing and seeing in terms of the numbers, the origin, the types of people that are prepared to come? Right. Well, the report you're talking about is the DHS inaugural annual national threat assessment. Uh, it, it became very well known because of its conclusion up top that white supremacy was the most lethal threat <laughs> facing the uh, country domestically. And and nobody challenged the credibility of that report because, you know, I mean, it was talking about white supremacy as, the, as such a big threat. But if you scroll down in the report, you'll find a whole section on immigration. And um, 
conveying the same credibility to that section as to the uh, higher section on white supremacy, uh, that foretells a surge, a major surge, a swamping major surge in illegal immigration to the southern border that would swamp our asylum system and detention uh, uh, facilities and other systems, border control systems, just like we saw last year, last summer with the Central American migrant crisis. And, and, and it, it did not attribute that to Biden policies or promises or anything like that. It, it attributed it to once the pandemic era border closures in Central America lift, there's this pent up pressure, like kind of a pressure cooker of people who had been putting off plans to come to the U.S. border for a long time, all through the pandemic, and that that the countries that they're from will be even more impoverished, and the United States economy being even more resurgent, creating this this kind of pressure or this tractor beam to the U.S., and that that there'll be continued uh, partisan. Uh, gridlock over the fixes that are necessary. Uh, and so they'll be able to take advantages of that as well. The fact that, that we, we just simply are divided and would be unable to put in the, the right kind of um, reforms. So that's the official credible DHS assessment. Uh, my own experience uh, with migrants actually meeting and talking to migrants earlier this year in Mexico, southern Mexico and Guatemala as well. I was with one of the last caravans that that tried to come through is that they were they didn't think they could get all the way to the US border. They knew they'd be blocked in Mexico, but that they were gonna they were willing to wait it out in Mexico because they figured that Trump would lose and some <laughs> Democrat would win. <laughs> and that the way would would become easier. I had dozens of migrants tell me this. They really yeah, said that Trump, uh, Trump going to lose. Like, um, no, I'm saying, like, no, really, I'm not trying to be cute here. Like, I mean, most Americans picture these very impoverished people from the rural areas of Guatemala, and you're telling me they knew from Trump and Democrats. I've never met a migrant uh, en route to the U.S. border who didn't have a cell phone and full <laughs> social media. I, I'm still waiting to meet one. <laughs> uh, who doesn't have who doesn't have that? Uh, there there may be some that don't have cell phones and access to the internet, but they're surrounded by people who do. So uh, the grapevine uh, is very uh, direct and um, live, real time. So you know, people know when things get easy. They it gets talked about, and they they the ones that I spoke with all heard loud and clear what the Democratic candidates were saying at that time in January of uh, this year, earlier this year, when I was down there. So they all know that, you know, in their minds, Biden is a friend to illegal immigrants who want to come in, that he is an enemy to the policies of Trump that uh, block them from getting in, that make it harder for, and more expensive for them to, to get in. And migrants are very attuned to those changes. 
they may not understand the um, nitty gritty, you know, they're not Daniel Horowitz's down there understanding all of the, uh, how the sausage is made, but they just know generally it's going to get easy. They're not going to stop me. My money won't go to waste on the smuggler. And um, so I believe that there are just many, many thousands uh, who will very likely uh, come as soon as the impediments are removed and wow. even, maybe even before the impediments are removed. No, I mean, if it and becomes clear big, to them, yeah. Yeah, one of the biggest impediments, people don't remember this, but in June of last year, President Trump threatened the Mexican president, AMLO, with trade tariffs if he didn't stop the caravans and the mass migration coming through Guatemala on his border. So the Mexicans deployed the National Guard, 6,000 troops, and they're still there, put them at 50 roadblocks. Anybody who tries to come in from Guatemala is going to run into one of those roadblocks somewhere, get put on a bus and transported back down to the border. Well, it's hard to imagine that stylistically, Joe Biden would maintain Trump's threat of trade tariffs. That's just not his, I don't think that's in Biden's DNA. I, I'd be very surprised if Biden said, you know what, we're going to, yeah, if you remove those troops, we're, I'm going to do trade tariffs on you now, <laughs> you know? Yep. And so uh, once those National Guard troops are removed, they're very effective. I spent a lot of time among them, talking to them at their roadblocks, watching them pick off migrants off of, uh, vehicles and trucks. Uh, and I, I know that um, once they're gone, that the caravans will start back up and we'll see that again. Oh, boy. And, and I'm telling you, when you see that, folks, try to conjure up a memory of a year to two years ago with the floods of people we saw coming in, filling the CBP facilities, the ICE facilities at the border. Just imagine for a moment with COVID the the specter of Biden as president and all of these um you know Kim Jong uns as governors, you know, literally abusing children and, and just giving you a hard time, whatever you do, and you're gonna have thousands of these people and somehow COVID is no longer gonna be a, a problem for that because um, you know, they they're immune to it, whereas we're not, I guess. Uh so this is more of what we have to look forward to if we just don't sit back and fight. Uh, Todd, I really should do a whole nother show on this, but just real briefly, if you have two minutes or so, um, one of the pleasant surprises that I saw from the election, it really surprised me, is what happened in the Rio Grande Valley along the border. I always thought those areas, politically speaking, were lost, that the leadership was very corrupt in those counties, and, and it certainly is, and the cartels have a lot of influence. Uh, there's There is such cross... Uh, cultural ties with Mexico, and these areas voted 80-20 Democrat um, historically. Trump wound up even flipping a couple of those counties or others came within 5 to 10 points of winning. We're talking about spectacular 30 to 50 point swings in some of these areas to Trump. Yeah. What have you seen from your experience? Why did that happen? Where is it coming from? And is this an aberration or a long-term realignment? Okay, that's a great question. Definitely longer than a two-minute uh, conversation. Well, take, take your time. Yeah. The, 
let me let me give you the the shorthand on it uh, because I I did um, study the um, media reporting in the valley and in those places and I I called uh, and interviewed some representative Democrats and Republicans down there in the valley uh, who are involved. One of whom is an elected official, a sheriff, and another one who's a Republican precinct chairman. Uh, and and what I what I came to understand is that there are three things really. One, the first one is uh, the fracking issue because uh, employment is um, thick uh, in the valley, the Rio Grande Valley, for in the fracking industry. They may not be uh, on the rigs in in their cities and counties down there, but they they go to West Texas for two weeks at a time and return, and it's good money and and the fracking issue really, um, I think, divided, uh, dr- drove people from the Democratic Party. But beyond that, I was surprised to be told that the mass migration crisis of 2018 and 2019, when you had almost a million Central Americans pour over, really drove them from the party as much as the fracking wow. issue because uh because they uh many of them are um you know they're they're american citizens most of them are Amer- multi-generational american citizens they did it the right way and they saw you know hundreds of thousands of people crossing through their their lands and their cities who were doing it the wrong way and it really um scared them uh and also because they didn't know who these people were and there were so many and uh but also the messaging that they heard all during that from the democratic party from elements of the democratic party which was encouraging this migration uh litigating the migration in courts uh allowing it to happen running protection for that migration they saw the Democratic Party doing that and ran from it. Uh, wow. And then, oh, yeah. Th- this uh, is the exact really opposite, by the way, of what all the Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, you know, GOP huckster establishment folks have told us for years. They're like, you have to accept any and every level of illegal immigration in order to even get your foot in the door with, you know, Americans of Hispanic descent to get their vote. And in fact, you're you're telling me the exact opposite. It's the open borders that turn them off. So based on what you're telling me, there's an interesting dynamic. Not that, you know, in my view, Republicans are worth a bucket of spit and I think we need a revolution. But putting that aside, if you are a smart Republican, you would start running candidates for Congress in once untouchable areas of the RGV and perhaps maybe other areas of the Texas border and even Arizona border. Um, because if what well, yeah. we, it, if what we think is going to happen is going to happen, if Biden gets in there and you have just like a free for all, like a free pass for the entire world to come, that area, based on what you're telling me, they will be more militantly against it than a conservative district in Wyoming. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, there's definitely uh, opportunity to wedge the, that those um, voting populations away from the Democratic Party on that alone. 
But uh, there was something else that that I was uh, told that also drove them away from the party. And, and this is something that might not be so uh, obvious or evident, but a lot of the employment in the Rio Grande Valley and those areas, Val Verde, which is further north, went red too. Uh, a lot of those um, homes are supported by people who work for ICE and the Border Patrol and CBP and in yes. detention centers. And they heard for two years straight from elements, uh, especially the Democratic left, uh, about how terrible the Border Patrol is and ICE and abolish ICE and Border Patrol agents are Nazis. And they heard that constantly in these riot demonstrations. I don't know what you want to call them. I mean, riots mostly or demonstrations mostly, but they heard that nonstop. And there came a point a few months ago when Trump had to send a lot of them to Portland and to Seattle. Mm. And those people were just attacked and vilified in the, in the, in the most vile, profane possible ways for the entire time that they were deployed on those operations. And what I was told is that, you know, people down there in the Valley who make their living from federal employment uh, were just just recoiled over it, repulsed by by that element of the Democratic Party. And so there's probably some room to grow that as well. You know, they didn't do the, the left wing of the party did not do the party itself or Joe Biden any favors at all uh, with all of this and this pro-immigration open border stuff. Wow. So, I mean, these, um, these are one, life one lessons. Other, yeah. And one other thing is, you know, remember, Texas was pretty close to becoming a swing state. I mean, without that that valley voting down there, anchoring it down to red, uh, you know, things might have been a lot different for Texas and might be a lot different for Texas in the future. So I think those precincts down there on the border are, uh, you know, valuable properties that, that need to be yes. purchased, <laughs> you know, mean, need to be uh, acquired. Uh, so I, I really think, and, and, and look, I'm not going to drag you into this conversation, but if you actually had a new movement and a new party that didn't have some of the baggage of the Republican party, um, a new American party, no labels, it, it could really pick up these people because clearly they're not into the woke stuff. They're not into the alt left. Um, they're reviled by it. And uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Look, Todd, I mean, this has always been engaging with you. Very thoughtful, a uh, very tedious attention to detail. You could find his work at Center for Immigration Studies. Follow him on Twitter at Benzman Todd. You'll really always learn something new almost every day there. Uh, clear follow. Folks, we are pretty much out of time. Thank you, Todd, for joining us. Uh, again, send me emails and uh, let's 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 talk about some of this at our Facebook group, Miniman Speak Easy, Harwood Citizen Sanctuary. Let's see what we can do. Uh, this is more of a federal issue we talked about today, but again, I'm hearing that Scott Atlas right now as I'm talking to you guys, he's kind of been sidelined. So, you know, even if Trump were to win, there's a lot of problems in this administration. And we've seen that with this uh, border uh, policy as well. So the point is there is no shortcut to us getting active and knowledgeable. It's time to do that. 
Folks, let's stay knowledgeable. Let's stay empowered. Till tomorrow, thank you for listening, and God bless.